right, if you guys want to take your Bibles, and we are going to turn over to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're getting back to Genesis at some point, I promise. We promise. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I've been looking at some core values of our church, and uh, this uh, week or a few weeks as I've been praying about uh, this sermon and thinking about it, uh, one of our core values, which is love motivated, came to mind. And uh, this means for us as a church that the gospel elevates love above all else. And that's love for each other as God's people, and that's love for the world around us that is lost and straying from the Lord. And so Ephesians 5 kind of speaks to this idea, and I thought it would be a good text for us to look at. And so we are going to read uh, just the first two verses and then dive in. So once you get there, why don't we stand together for the reading of God's holy word. Starting there right in verse 1. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Might be the shortest time you guys have to stand. <laughs> Unless we do a verse, only one verse on preaching. All right, so my opening question this morning, what comes to mind when you hear the word imitation? What comes to mind when you hear the word imitation? You might think of the negative meaning as something fake or a cheap substitute. Uh, so what came to mind when I thought about that? Uh, for example, if you've ever been to the grocery store before and you've seen imitation crab meat, okay? Imitation crab meat. I, I actually think it's pretty good, but it is fish that is dyed red and white to look like crab meat. And it's mixed in the seafood salad and that kind of thing. But it's imitation. It's fake, right? It's not real crap. Well, maybe you think of uh, knockoff or no-name brand type things, right? So when I was a kid growing up, uh, my parents were notorious for getting me kind of the Walmart shoes that were the knockoff, you know, Nikes and that kind of thing. And uh, I had to grow up, you know, with that. And, and I was all fine. It's okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, knockoff. Maybe you think of a cheap substitute. Maybe you think about the positive meaning of imitation, which is to follow in the example or the footsteps of another. To follow in the example or footsteps in another. One example of this maybe, for example, if you have a son, and your son, you know, watches you get ready for the day, and sometimes you what? You shave, okay? And they see you shaving, they want to be like dad, and so they kind of get their own shaving cream, something, you know, whatever they could find. Maybe they got, someone bought them a, a fake shaving kit and they start trying to shave that peach fuzz, you know, off of their cheek just like their dad. Or maybe it was the young girl who sees her favorite song on YouTube and is trying to imitate by singing her song as loud as she possibly can in the shower. But either way, all of us imitate somebody else. It's actually a of being human. We imitate those that we idolize, that we look up to, that we want to be like. That's what imitation is all about. And really, in fact, you can argue that from the Bible, from the very beginning, that's a part of our makeup and a part of our DNA, that we were made to mimic uh, the design of another. 
And surely sin is messed up just like everything else, but that's still a part of our God-given makeup. And really, we see this all over the Bible, this important topic of imitation. And in Ephesians chapter 5 is one of those places where the idea of imitation comes up. So this morning, as we dive into Ephesians 5, we're going to see that as deeply loved children, we are to be imitators of him, specifically through Christ-like love. Okay, so the idea of imitation, but specifically the idea of Christ-like love that we are to imitate. So with that in mind, let's turn to verse 1 here, where Paul calls Christians to be imitators of God. When I was back in seminary, uh, I did a few papers on this topic of being imitators. And uh, because I was fascinated as I went through the scriptures, how many times it talks about us being imitators. Let me give you a few examples here. In Genesis 1, we are told that we're made in the image of God. And that being made in the image of God, we are to mimic God or copy him in certain ways. Now, that doesn't mean that we image him or copy him in every way. For example, none of us can create something out of nothing. But what we can do is create something out of something. Right? So some of us have more artistic gifts. Maybe you're an artist or a graphic designer or a builder or whatever it may be, and you take materials that God has given us here on the earth and make something beautiful. In that way, we copy or mimic our father. And throughout the Bible, we're called to imitate God in certain ways. Also, we are called to be merciful because he's merciful. We're called to be just because he is just. But not only God, we're called to imitate other godly Christians. Right? Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And so as Paul is following Christ, we are to follow the example of Paul. But not just Paul, other Christians, right? We all have mentors that we look up to in the faith. We all have people maybe a little bit older than us or even peers that we say, I want to be like them as they follow Jesus. Another example of the call to imitation is the call to imitate other churches, Christ's life. An example of this here in uh, 1 Corinthians. We talk about this sometimes. The churches of Macedonia who gave above and beyond even out of their poverty to the needs of Jerusalem and the church there after something happened. And so we see that whether it's God or other Christians or other churches, imitation is a key part of the Christian life. And so we see that here in Ephesians chapter 5, which we're going to look at now. Verse 1 says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. And so here in the second part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he reminds us that we're to be imitators of God. So in this particular circumstance, God is the one that you and I are to be imitating. Now, we would probably all agree that it's natural for a child to want to be like their parents, right? Your children are watching, especially I think about dads as they have sons. And their sons are watching their every move, wanting to be like their dad in both good ways and bad ways, right? One of the things that both mom and dads have to be uh, cognizant of is that they're watching. They're watching our example and they want to be like us. It may be something as silly and as cute as wanting to shave because you shave, or it may be something as serious as 
They take their relationship with God seriously because dad does or mom does or vice versa, sadly. Maybe dad says his mouth, God's important, but the rest of his life shows he's not really all that important to me. The son's going to watch that. The daughter's going to watch that and follow that example. But for us, as beloved children of God our Father, it's right for us to look up to him and to want to be like him. But just as with everything else, our sinful heart gets in the way, right? There's always that sinful old man, old woman that kind of creeps up back itself into our life, even as Christians, and tries to distort what is, excuse me, what is good and what is right. And oftentimes we try to imitate everything except for God. Let's think about this for a minute. Think about how much time and money and effort we spend trying to idolize and be like those who we idolize for all the wrong reasons. For example, maybe this NBA star wears $200 sneakers, so I have to wear $200 sneakers. Or this TV star gets all the guys. This music artist gets all the guys because they wear the most expensive jewelry and makeup and clothing. And so if I want to be liked, I have to do those very same things. Or maybe this young professional who looks like he has it all together. He's got that one job that's got the salary and benefits. And me, I've got four, five, six part-time jobs. Maybe I should be more like that person. See, sometimes we idolize for the wrong reasons. We have to ask ourselves, who are we trying to imitate? Who do we look up to? I'm not talking about the Sunday school answer of Jesus. I'm talking about who you really look up to. When no one else is looking want to be like. I once heard someone say that you become what you behold. You become what you behold, meaning what you put in front of your eyes. Constantly, a day in, day in basis, you'll eventually become that. And so if I put that movie star, that bad example, not that all movie stars are bad, but whatever it may be, if I put that bad example in front of me, soon enough, I'm going to become that bad example. Because you behold, or you become what you behold. And so the question for us is, what are we beholding as Christians? First and foremost, we want to be imitators of God, our Father. And we are trying daily to behold His greatness, His glory, His goodness. It's one of the beautiful things about a Sunday morning. It's kind of hitting reset for us. As we come back together and through worship, we are setting afresh our minds on God. We need that. Because so much throughout the week, we've been setting our minds on other things and trying to be like them. But before we go on to see this specific example of how we imitate God, I want to point out one thing from this phrase, as beloved children. That's really important, that phrase. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Here we see really the motivation of our imitation. We are already beloved children of God in Christ. Now we have to get that. Now in the present, as we hear this command from Scripture, if we have believed upon Jesus for our salvation, we already are beloved children. We don't imitate in order to get that status of beloved children. We already have that status of beloved children, and therefore we imitate. And there's a world of difference between those two things. 
you and I are beloved children in Christ for what he has done for us through his life and his death and his resurrection. That's how we become beloved children. But as beloved children, we look up to our father and we say, Dad, I want to be like you in every area of my life. We are beloved children. Paul does this a lot in his letters. He basically says that this is who you are in Christ. So now by his help, go live it out. This is who you are. Now live like it. This happens all the time throughout Paul's letters. And this is happening here. You are beloved children already in Christ. Now live like it. So let's spend the remainder of our time looking at this really specific example that Paul gives us as we imitate Christ, which is walking in Christ-like love. I don't know about you guys, but there are certain verses in Scripture that when you come across them, it's like a punch in the gut. Every time you come across that, the, the meaning is as clear as day, and you know without a doubt that you're not living up to that particular command. One for me actually comes up later in chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as what? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Every time I read that, I'm like, man, it's so convicting, right? I could say I love my wife, but am I loving her as Christ has loved the church and given himself up for her? What a high standard of love. And it's a good punch in the gut. I need that punch in the gut to wake up. Verse 2 here in chapter 5 is a similar type of conviction and really uses the same logic of imitation, of imitating the example of Christ. It should be no surprise here that Paul highlights Christian love. Love is one of the chief attributes of God, right? When, we, when even you survey a group of non-Christians and you say, what, what is God like? They'll probably say loving because that's one of the chief attributes of God. Love is described in so many parts of the Bible. Maybe one of the most well-known is 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love endures all things, does not envy or boast, and so on and so on. But here in Ephesians 5, love is not described in the abstract. But it's described in a very specific, personal example of Jesus Christ. As Christians, we are to imitate God by loving like his son loved. That's our specific example. That's our go-to. I like what one commentator said. He says, Christ is the ultimate imitator of the Father. Christ is the ultimate imitator of the Father. Who loves perfectly? Christ. He always loved people perfectly, no matter what. And that's why we look to him for our example for Christ-like love. This kind of begs the question, how did Christ love? If we're to love like Christ, how did Christ love? And believe me, we could spend hours upon hours, years upon years answering that question, how did Christ love? I mean, the Gospels are all about that. The four Gospels describe the life and the work of Jesus Christ, and they're all a testament to the love of Christ and how he showed that love. To everybody, no matter what. But for today, let's look at Paul 
as he turns our attention to this little verse here on Christ-like love in verse 2. And we're going to see that Jesus' love was costly. Verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Over the summer, I came across a devastating headline in the press of Atlantic City. The headline was, Atlantic City Police Identify Pennsylvania Father Who Died Saving Drowning Son. And in this story, um, the, the son and, and the father were out there before the lifeguards were out there, um, early in the morning, I think it was, and the son went out to swim. The son began to struggle. As the son began to struggle, the dad realized he went out after his son. Well, tragically, the, the son actually was able to come back to shore, but the father passed away in trying to save his son. He drowned. He died. But it brings to mind Jesus saying, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What was the proof of that father's love for his child? It was that he was willing to lay down his life for his son. And which of us, as parents, would not want to do the same thing for our child in that circumstance? What a picture of costly love. To say, I love you so much, I'll give up my own life so that you will be safe, so that you will have a future. And I share this illustration because it is an example of the love of Christ for you and for me. But if we're honest with ourselves, even that example, as great a love as that is that that father had, it pales in comparison to the love that Christ has for you and for me. It really does. It pales in comparison. Christ gave everything for you and for me. Christ left the comforts of heaven to be a man and to live on this fallen world. Christ left those comforts to become a human knowing that he would die. He came and subjected himself to life in a fallen world just like you and I experience. The day in, day out, humdrum of life. Christ became human knowing he would die an earthly death. He subjected himself to the difficulty of growing up from a child to an adult in a sinful world and yet never sinned. Think about that. Again, all the motivation was love. Christ dared to love the unlovable, the annoying, the sick that nobody wanted to get near. Christ dared to love the backstabber, the thief, the liar, the proud, the vain, the lustful, those who yet didn't love him. I mean, the Gospels are full of examples of the love of Christ. Christ humbled himself and took the form of a servant. Though he was the king of kings and he was the only one deserving to be served. Christ loved so much that he was willing to be betrayed, beaten, tried, in a mock of a trial, and sentenced to death. Christ loved us that while we were yet still sinners, he died for us. Guys, before we ever set out to obey this command to love one another, first, we have to set our minds and hearts firmly on the costly love of Jesus for you and for me. If we don't first 
fix our minds on the love of Christ and experience that love from him, there is no hope that you and I will ever love the same way. It is the motivation. It is the example. As he has indwelled us through the Holy Spirit, it is the power that we have to love one another as Christ has loved us. This is the only way that we can begin to know what real love is, not fake love that our culture shows us, and how we can begin to show it to one another and to the world. And so only when we fix our eyes on him can we begin to obey this command of loving one another. So let's turn our attention just briefly to our call to costly love. See, when we become Christians, we have to relearn what love is. Whether we became a Christian at five years old or at 50 or right before we die, whatever, we have to relearn what love is because we have been living in a mindset, in a world that talks about love in a very different way than what the Bible says love is. The world has a very skewed understanding of love. It takes many forms. For example, love is all about me and what makes me feel good. I feel love when you make me feel good. We love when it's convenient to love, but not when it's hard. Anybody a convenience lover here? I know that I am a lot of times. When it's convenient, I'll love you. When, it's help, when, it's, when it helps me, I'll love you. When it's not hard, when I don't have to, to give up anything, I'll love you. That's a worldly love. We love as long as the other person is worthy of our love. And we say worthy meaning if we think it's worthy, however we deem is worthy. So if you do X, Y, and Z, then I'll love you. If you act a certain way towards me, I'll love you. Or as long as you love us and don't backstab me, I'll love you. And so on. The world has a very skewed understanding of love. And when we become Christians, we have to relearn totally what it means to love God, each other, the lost, everything. But we know that we don't become perfect overnight. The letters of, of Paul constantly are talking about this putting on or putting off and putting on, right? Putting off that old self, that old person, even as we were sharing with our prayer request. Saying, God, would you put these things off, put them away from me, and put on Christ-like love? He is doing that more and more so. Constantly, we're having to put to death in us selfish, worldly love, and to put on costly, Christ-like, sacrificial love. It's an ongoing process that God is working in us. Because so often, we're imitating the wrong lovers instead of the one who loved us and gave it all for us. So I want to ask a few questions, and these are questions for us to think about. How is your love? How are you loving other people? Do you show a costly, Christ-like love or a cheap, bare minimum love? Like I said, it's so hard for us to love when it costs us. When it means that I have to give up something that I want or something that I like, whether it's my time or my money or my comfort, whatever it may be. And yet that's the call. 
As we think about the way that we love others for a moment, I want to illustrate the, this type of love with a story of a missionary by the name of Amy Carmichael. She was a missionary to India in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And she was known uh, for mainly ministering to children. So children were her passion. She went there, and I think she was there for about 50 years, ministering. Never came home on furlough, uh, never took a break. She ministered to the forgotten children of India, specifically those that were forced to participate in childhood prostitution in the local temples. She loved them so much, she created a haven for these children and rescued hundreds upon hundreds of children, sacrificing herself many times. Listen to what one author reflecting on her life and her legacy said about her Christ-like love. Before dying, she asked that no stone be put over her grave. But the children she cared for deeply decided to put a bird over her grave with a single inscription, which means mother. Carmichael lived out her saying, one can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. Let Let me read that again. One can give without loving, but one cannot love without giving. When we love like Christ, we give. When we love like Christ, we start to do things that are out of characteristic for us. Last night, let me give you an example. I don't like country music, okay? But my wife, she likes country music. And so what did I do? Uh, The great husband that I am? No. What did I do last night? I went to a country concert. Uh, We we went. That's pretty good, right? I went and saw, we went and saw Reba in concert, Reba McIntyre. And, uh, she was at ocean. yep, she was at the ocean, right? But I don't like country. I don't like listening to it, but I love my wife. And it, it requires giving up of yourself for the sake of another. That's what Christ-like love is all about. It causes you to give to other people, just like Amy Carmichael. How many times do you think it was inconvenient for her? How many times do you think it was hard for her when she missed home and family and a church family? She was in a foreign country. She was the the odd person out. She was the minority. How many times did she just want to go back to normal life the way it was? And yet she said no for the sake of these children to show them that Christ-like love. I look at that example and I'm saying, God, please make us a people, our church, a people that want to love like that, that we would more and more love each other in a way that is costly, in a way that is sacrificial, in a way that honors Christ. We begin to put others above ourselves, others' priorities, others' needs above our own, and we begin to mimic the example of Christ-like love. You know, it's actually really fitting that we're about to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's always fitting, right? A lot of churches will do the Lord's Supper even uh, every week um, as a means of pointing our eyes to Christ and what He did for us. But I think it's particularly um, fitting because as we think about the Lord's Supper, this is a visible picture for us to understand Christ's love for us to see the the, the lengths that he went to for you and for me. 
People who were sinners and loved being sinners. People who hated God and loved hating God and running from Him as far and as fast as possible. That's who you and I were before we became Christians. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The table is a reminder for us of His love towards us. But it's also a reminder and a time for us to evaluate how are we loving each other as a church family. It's fitting as we begin a new school year to ask the question in this year ahead, how are we going to love one another? Is it going to be like Christ? Or is it going to be that selfish, worldly love that we know so often? This is a time for us to enjoy afresh and anew the love of God for us in Christ, to be motivated to go out and to live in that love, to show that love, not only to each other, but to a lost world who has no idea what it truly means to love and to be loved. Our world and culture may talk about love a lot, and they think they may have a lot to say about love, but they don't know what love is unless they've been loved by Jesus first. You know, the end of verse 2 says that Christ's love was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That means, as someone once put it, God loved the way that Jesus loved. When God the Father looked at the way Jesus loved, it was a sweet-smelling aroma. It was pleasing to the Father. As he looked on his son and said, this is the way that my son loved the world, loved his people, my people. It pleased him. For us as God's people, may we strive by his help to live in the same kind of love. May we strive to learn the ways of love. We all have further to go. Whether we've been in this race for 30 years or for a year. We have further to go in learning the way of Christ-like love. And we need that reminder from the Bible this morning that we are to imitate that example day in and day out. Let's pray as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. Father, I thank you for your word. Um, We need sometimes those punches in the gut where it just wakes us up. And uh, where we see that we are so short of following your example uh, of love. I know that as I prepared this week even, that um, so many times I was just convicted in the moment. Convicted that I didn't love my wife or my kids or others in our church the way that you love So many times I just wanted to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to love the way that I wanted to love or be loved the way that I wanted to be loved. And I wasn't thinking about you, Jesus, or the other people. And I'm sure that all of us can relate that we have such an imperfect love. And yet, Lord, as we look upon Jesus Christ, we see his love for us, his perfect love. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for us to relearn the way of Christ-like love even as we celebrate this table here together, that you would help us afresh and anew to get it, to bask in it, to enjoy it, and then to show it. But God, we need your help. On our own, we are prone just to be as selfish lovers, convenient lovers. 
And so we pray that you would work in us what's pleasing to you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.